Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show JD, otherwise known as Jonathan Dutton from JD Consultancy, who is here to talk to us all about the role of procurement in mergers and acquisitions. In fact, we're talking about the role perhaps that procurement should have rather than the role that procurement does have. And in particular, we're driving to a discussion all about what the business benefits are that investors are after from an acquisition and why procurement is an afterthought in the M&A process, but why it's so important that they're not an afterthought. JD shares some great stories of where he has seen this from the front line himself. We discuss what role procurement can have in the due diligence process and what investors should really be looking for. And we also look at what else procurement can bring to the table other than just cost. Well, that's it. Buckle in. Here we go for our discussion with JD all about the role of procurement in M&A. JD, thank you so much for coming on board. I always enjoy having you on the podcast and I think today is going to be fascinating, interesting, full of lots of insights as usual as we talk about things together. You're too kind, Joe, but we are going to talk about procurement and most people instantly fall asleep when you (laughs) mention the P word and most people spell it wrong. There's two E's in procurement. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, to be fair, most people think they're going to fall asleep when they when when they hear that someone's going to be talking about legal topics as a whole. So legal and procurement, oh my goodness, we've got like the double. <laughs> uh, I worked for an entrepreneur for five years, boss, and uh, as a boss, and he used to say uh, procurements for people that found the, the law too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, JD. Okay, well, as it, you, we're going to have fun. I can tell. I can tell. Um, okay, so so we've got an interesting discussion today because uh, it's not, um, I guess, an obvious uh, connection. The concept of M and A, talking about M and A and procurement. So maybe let's give a bit of a backstory, JD. How did we get here? Why are we talking about M and A and procurement? Well, it, it chips up in one of our conversations, I think, Joe, and uh, you know, I think I might have mentioned there's a number of business benefits to any acquisition, which the big cheeses are always focused on, and they're always centred around um, developing the strategy of the business, mm-hmm. uh, vertically or horizontally integrating or uh, just eradicating competitors, perhaps, or certainly enhanced profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the assumptions they tend to leap to is that we can cut the cost base um, of the company we acquire or perhaps get some synergy between our cost base and theirs. In other words, we'll slash the cost. And uh, they just assume that they can do that. And um, working as a head of procurement in in several companies over a long time, (laughs) I always ended up uh, finding out afterwards that they'd made that assumption and being given a target, not agreeing a target. And uh, in some cases, the acquisition lived or died or failed or succeeded based on our ability to cut costs. 
and uh, nobody had actually done any real work or any thinking or any tests or any analysis of how we might be able to do that and what that cost figure might be. They just put two and two together and got five. But do you know what this is? I, I, I just want to highlight this point because it is such a good point uh, because, you know, there's lots and lots of statistics about it at the moment, but they go somewhat like this, somewhere between, um, you know, 50% to 75% of acquisitions are deemed a failure, whatever failure actually means, but, you know, essentially not achieving the objectives that they set out to achieve. And usually this is for um, these these factors relate to or these statistics relate to larger organisations like the type of organisations that have procurement divisions within them. And you're absolutely right. One of the success factors is around the amount of savings that are about uh, are able to be achieved by the merging. Exactly. It's always on the list. And I guess what you're saying here is how often is procurement actually engaged and we're hearing not very often. Never. Never. <laughs> or never. Or never. never. <laughs> and, you know, never. maybe this is part of the secret source of why there is such a high failure rate. So I think we're on to something, JD. I think we really, like this is cutting-edge stuff, isn't it? We are <laughs> on to it. We're on to it. It's common sense, really. I mean, most procurement's common sense, really, focus common sense. But, look, it's very difficult. And I understand that uh, an acquisition process, especially where public companies are involved, um, really has to be very confidential. You know, you're only going to spike the price if everybody finds out. Um, so it's necessarily a, a, a unique few in a room um, who have got the closely guarded secret. So, so their assumption is we'll cut costs. Uh, as a primary driver of the benefit of an acquisition, certainly in the short term. Short-term benefits, uh, you know, rack up the wins as far as uh, shareholders are concerned in, in, in early days, although the uh, longer-term strategic benefits might be the real driver of an acquisition decision. But uh, we overlook the due diligence. So above all, I think, um, a failure to consult um, your, your in-house expert, if you like, on cost is a failure of due diligence. And, uh, of course, they don't do the spend analysis, and we'll come on to this perhaps, in, in the, the, the target company. And they just assume, and part of the assumption is hubris, uh, Joe, you know, it's uh, it's me, I'm great, therefore we must be right, and I'll, I'm great, so I'll be able to get 10, I'm a wonderful negotiator, I can get 10% off anything. And they just assume, but, you know, 10% off addressed spend is a very difficult target in the bond world. Yeah. Um, so not a great deal of money when you're talking about big companies, of course. Mm. So I, I guess my fundamental point is, um, you know, cost is a primary goal, um, uh, of an acquisition, but it's very rarely part of the due diligence process. And I've fallen victim to, the, to, victim to this a few times. And can you, I, I just love you to paint the picture, if you can just, you know, go back to one of these examples and just talk us through the example, because you, you shared one with me and I think it's a great story. I just love it if you can share. <laughs> the complex story. Yeah, yeah, yeah the complex story. Kind of complex. <laughs> Tell and, us the um, complex story, well, J.D. I was young and uh, I, I'd been promoted in a big company. I was one of the uh, group of 150, four and 150, the top 150 managers in the, in the company. I was number 147, so I was allowed to sit at the back and uh, we always got the briefing off the CFO at 11 o'clock in the morning after he'd done the analysts, after he'd done the financial press, and he'd do a third presentation, and that was for the managers. 
So we were third to find out what was going on. Mm. And of course, like good financial PR people, they'd leaked all the news the day before. <laughs> so uh, I was literally, I came down in the morning, the newspapers, the old days, you know, the newspaper was on the doormat uh, in those days, not on an iPad. iPads weren't invented. <laughs> I opened the newspaper and uh, there was the CEO of the company saying he'd been personally assured by the procurement team that they would save £130 million oh. cost to the target. And uh, it was looking forward to hear the detailed plans, which was his answers to the analysts in the, in the session the day before. And of course, I didn't know anything about it. I was just the head of procurement. <laughs> so, oh. so I was reading my newspaper, choking on my cornflakes. And of course, I get into Derek's presentation at 11 o'clock to see a uh, Yet again, another one of Derek's gaps were legendary. His graph always had a bloody great gap. And it was always a close the gap initiative. In this case, the cost that it was and the cost that should be. And, uh, and that's how the, how the story worked, really. So 130 million it was. Mm. And so, JD, then you had to go and close the gap. Where did the 130 come from? That was my first question. And well, the, yeah. It was made up by an analyst. <laughs> Yeah, right. and, and it goes a bit like this, you know, I, you just pick round figures to make the point. And uh, I'm not allowed to say it was a, a, one of those guys that earns a million dollars a year with a brain the size of a planet who makes an awful lot of assumptions. Mm. And uh, he, I actually met him at one point. He was a really, 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 one of those guys where he's a lot smarter than you, you know. So you've been talking to him for five minutes and all of a sudden it appears he knows more about it than you do and it's your topic, you know. <laughs> um, so... Um, you know, he just did the maths. He said, I don't know, we, we're a $300 million company and they're a $100 million company and, you know, our cost base is 150 or something and there's, I don't know, 50 or something. And uh, we'll put the two together and save 10%. There you go. Well, that'll be fine. I'm sure they can do that anyway. <laughs> so we'll do that. And oh, the cost, we've got the staff base as well. Well, we're spending, I don't know, how many staff have we got again? What's the wage bill? 50 million? What's theirs? What's 20 million? Oh, we're going to add that together. So, I'll mean, oh, get rid of 10% of that as well. We'll make it 20%. And then they take a number, and let's say they'll do all the math that they worked out a 30 million saving. It was not quite enough. Well, it didn't really make it compelling, does it? We couldn't put a dividend on that in year two. So, let's just, just round it up a bit. So, make it a 50 million saving. 60 million. Make it 60. All right, work that back. All right. So 11% so they can do that. We can do that. Yeah. That'll be that. Right, 11%. And that's it. That's how we go. That's how they did it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and of course that meant in, in my context on that in that job on that day, 130 million pounds of the savings in the first two years to make the whole spreadsheet work. Mm. And, and really to justify in the short term a presentation an acquisition, which was driven for strategic reasons. Not, not for cost reasons. It was just the cost was used to justify it in the first two years. Mm. And, uh, it was all based on the assumption they could cut the cost base by 11% and stupid here and get that done by Friday. Mm. Uh, uh, the reality of what you face is quite different, of course, because there was no due diligence done at all on the cost base. All the due diligence was done you know, on the balance sheet, uh, not asset stripping, but asset acquisition. Mm. Uh, I got the sales director's car, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the company we acquired, yeah, that, that was going begging, so I put my hand up, but I got given the car. I think it was to shut me up. So a lot better than I had anyway. You know, I got rid of my poxy little car and got this nice car owned by the sales director who thought, unfortunately, lost his job. Mm. Um, but um, no, the, the, what should have happened was, you know, and, and again, we're back to it's a secret squirrel project. We can't do this in public. It's, yeah. uh, we, can't, we can't do it in a way that, uh, you know, reveals what we're doing. Uh, but what should happen is a spend analysis. Now, you can nowadays uh, get a download on a memory stick 
from any P2P system, which will give you basic granular uh, spend analysis data. It's basically a list of everything you spend uh, listed by the amount by supplier. Mm. So a descending list of, I don't know, 500 to 5,000 suppliers, depending on the size of a business, listed in order of annual spend. Um, so we can say our number one supplier in terms of spend is so-and-so, and we spend you know $4.5 million a year with them on widgets, and, and you work down the list. And what you always find in procurement, always, um, is a parator. And so effectively, 80% of your spend is with your top 20 suppliers or your top 20% of your suppliers. It's usually not 80-20, it's usually 70-30 or sometimes 60-40. And that depends on the nature of the business. Uh, you're buying direct goods and services, in other words, raw materials, components, goods for resale, that's direct stuff. Or you're only buying indirect, and everybody buys indirect. There's typically 14 indirect categories, and these are the expenses that every business incurs, large or small, that nobody wants to spend money on. It's office furniture, it's IT hardware, it's the telecoms bill, it's fuel, it's travel, insurance, uh, Mm. all these boring categories that are the staples of every office. Nobody Mm. wants to spend money on this stuff. Uh, I work for my own business, JD Consulting. We, we don't want to spend money on this stuff, but we do. Yeah. And uh, on every other 14 cash, you do, Joe, and, and so does BHP Billiton. You know? <laughs> they just spend a lot more than us. Uh, so it's an easy target for saving. So um, when a procurement is um, addressed, uh, one of these uh, categories of indirect spend, we call it addressed spend and unaddressed spend. They're the last bastions of spend, uh, best defended by their stakeholders. Usually legal services spends in there, Joe. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. General councils <laughs> are very good at batting away procurement. So I'm the only person in the world qualified to decide which legal firms we use, even though we're outsourcing contract leases, uh, you know, torts and basic stuff. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm, it's the same with the CFO who defends the choice of auditors. Marketing's mm. another one. Um, so these are areas where you've got powerful uh, people in the C-suite who defend their right to choose a supplier. Uh, and gradually they all lose. In the end, procurement win every debate. Um, that They market test um, the choice of supplier and, and hopefully get some sort of reduction and other benefits as well. Mm. So the spendiness analysis process is, is regimented nowadays. It's a desktop program. It's in the cloud. Um, it used to be Excel-based in the old days. Few people are doing it. Most people are using Power BI or Tableau. Mm. Uh, desktop tools, you can do it yourself. Any semi-competent IT department can help, and, and most of them are semi-competent. Um, so uh, even a smart kid in the office can do it. Um, but um, you do need a bit of grey hair to ask the right questions. So once presented with the data, the kid in the office can't tell you why the data skewed that way. Oh, that's what the data says, yeah. Well, why would that be so sudden? And of course, they can't tell you. The grey hair uh, can spot that. So firstly, just rehashing um, for our listeners, the first thing is to do a spend analysis, which sounds fairly obvious, doesn't it? But, uh, Mm. you know. (laughs) It's quite easy as well. But notwithstanding the obviousness of it is clearly missed in many instances. So firstly, do a spend analysis. But secondly, um, make sure you understand what is coming out of the spend analysis, right? Well, the spend analysis will present contradictions. Why are we spending X on a a category in this location and using seven suppliers? And over here, we're using one supplier and spending more. How does that work? So um, you do get a lot of presentations of curious uh, solutions like that to solve and spend analysis. But what you're really looking for is the opportunity number. And the way that works is you pick a couple of categories you're spending a lot of money on. 
um, you pull up a couple of purchase orders or um, uh, credit card orders or whatever, uh, verbal orders, uh, uh, invoices, um, pick those invoices, ring a few people uh, from Google and uh, see what they're charging for the same thing. And usually you can find something cheaper somewhere. Um, and yeah, you just compare the price you're paying in that instance with the price you got off uh, some bloke you rang up this morning and uh, times the gap by the volume and there's your opportunity. Now, um, good procurement people use that opportunity number like a lightsaber. Um, you run around the business going, we could save $30 million if only you'd let me <laughs> uh, by going to market on this category. And, um, you know, that basic process is, is the opportunity analysis, it's called in procurement mm. language, um, that justifies the effort of procurement. But in this case, you know, if you pick your top 20% of your spend items, that's where 80% of your spend always is, um, and uh, sample test a few market examples, you can see, gauge what's been addressed, what hasn't. And a quick conversation with the people in procurement there, I'll tell you what they've got around to and what they haven't. Mm. And, uh, and from that, you can start to make assumptions that are a lot safer. So um, on spend that has been addressed uh, is pretty rare uh, to get good savings over 2 or 3%. Because mm. um, you've already been out to market one every year or two or three or several times, you know, your savings tend to zero over time. Mm. Okay? There's diminishing returns at work. However, in categories which you've not addressed before, you've not had time, you've not got to it yet, we're only a small procurement team or uh, the general counsel wouldn't let us, um, and all of a sudden you've got access, then 10% is easy. Mm. Uh, Double-digit savings are the norm. And your first um, go-to-market exercise um, for a new category. So, um, you know, obviously they average out, but what you can't do is say, well, let's just save 10% across everything. That's got to be doable. Well, it yeah. isn't. Yeah. And it's certainly not a big spend. And that's yeah. a big number. And if that big number is used to justify an acquisition, certainly in the short term to pacify shareholders or stakeholders that the uh, uh, instant success of an acquisition is there to see, uh, and the strategic aims are a bit more difficult, a bit more nebulous to see, then, uh, then that's a risky strategy, I think. Mm. Um, so that's why I argue procurement should be in the room for the due diligence process. Yeah. And it can be, uh, you don't have to declare your hand, you can just say, well, give us a download uh, in, in a C CXT format, an Excel format of um, spend by supplier in descending order for the last year. Mm. And, and I can work with that. <laughs> Give me that mm. and, and mm. we can we can make a fist of it from there. Mm. Um, and that would be a lot safer than making blanket assumptions, uh, which are usually, I'll take 10% off. And that's where the 130 million number came from. Mm. So w we've talked about the analysis, but maybe let's talk about then what else it is um, that, where is it that, you know, maybe savings can be found? So you, you've talked um, here uh, about um, you know, analysing where the biggest spend is and understanding whether or not um, whether or not the best deal has been struck with those suppliers or whether there's other suppliers around that might be able to provide better. Oh, that's but, you that's know. a good question, Joe. I mean, where do, where do savings come from? Well, what people normally do is cut people, headcount, uh, their most instant savings, especially across the financial year where you can take the cost of departure in this financial year and next financial year is a massive saving against budget. Um, so that's what people normally do because cutting everyday costs is actually quite difficult, stopping mm. on a sixpence. Um, people tend to offer draconian rules, right, 10% of every budget, and that's a terrible way of cutting costs. Or, uh, of course, abstinence, uh, which is, is perhaps the most popular one, the travel freeze, the recruitment freeze, the training freeze, 
Mm. Uh, people pick and all of stuff. that's being used right at this moment, right I think. This but... <laughs> the Gerdine is alive and well. Well done, everybody. And uh, no thought required. Um, so you can be much more targeted. Um, but, you know, of course, um, the top management don't trust the middle management, do they? You know, the, the, the middle management defend their bureau, defend their patch and defend their budget. Mm. And, and that's why you end up with that stupidity at the end of the financial year where people are quickly spending the budget in case they don't get the same next year. Mm. You know, surprisingly, that still goes on. And it's a measure of a, an immature uh, spending or procurement effort, an immature management culture that, uh, that still lets that happen. But mm. there are other benefits from procurement as well. It's not just about cost. And I've seen a really good example recently, I think, with the COVID crisis. Well, t- talk us through that. So so what are the other benefits that procurement can bring? You know, a lot of people saw on the TV during the crisis and the early days of the crisis, and we're seeing on an ongoing basis here in Melbourne at the moment, uh, shortages. And, um, you know, where they come from is, of course, long supply chains and mm. uh, you know, with Australia being at the tip of the global supply chain generally and uh, being a service-based economy, we import a massive amount of things we depend on. And a lot of those supply chains started to break down. And, uh, and, and procurement, to some degree, has been a victim of its own success. And what I mean by that uh, is um, we've become vulnerable because we've made perhaps one-eyed decisions in the past based mm. on price. Mm. So there's several good examples recently. I run a series of roundtables with chief procurement officers, CPOs, and they were confessing. In some cases, one guy had said that they'd sourced a vital component from the Dominique Republic, which they assumed was in Africa, but it's not, of course, in the Caribbean. And it's quite difficult to uh, ship stuff from the Caribbean at the moment. Mm. Vital components. Why did they do it? Well, it was cheaper. Mm. Uh, they got, they're the global player. We're a global business. We, we took the global cheapest. Well, it's all well and good when you're shipping it to Geelong. Mm. Um, meanwhile, uh, another manufacturer here in Melbourne uh, produces uh, bottles, uh, they source their bottle tops, a uh, particular shade of blue that Marcus insisted on, from Milan. Mm. So nothing came out of Milan for that first two or three months of the crisis. So perfectly good manufacturing process, trucking away in Australia with no bottle tops. Yeah. So they had to stop. And, and, of course, everyone in manufacturing knows, don't stop the line. The bottlenecks go on for years, uh, and the cost of that goes on for years. So lots of examples. We're very vulnerable uh, to uh, little pieces of outside supply that they made on price decisions in the past or marketing decisions. And no one had stopped to ask, well, where's the risk in that? Mm. So what we're now seeing is a lot of procurement teams scrambling very quickly um, to, if you like, put, put their finger in that dike, uh, if you like, to stop that, that problem. And um, that looks like uh, building buffer stocks onshore here in Australia. It looks like uh, reassessing their distribution, their warehousing the stocks. It looks like a dual sourcing, not single sourcing. Mm. It will keep the guy in the Demonic Republic. That's mm. all well and good. Uh, but her over here in in, um, uh, in WA, well, she, you know, she can give us a good price. It's not as good, but <laughs> it's mm. a bit safer bringing it over uh, across the Nullarbor, perhaps. Mm. Um, and we're seeing people reshoring. Um, so we're not offshoring anymore. Actually, we're bringing it back onshore because it's just too precarious. Our business depends too much on that strategic supply line. Mm. So we're seeing redefinitions of what a strategic supply line is. Uh, my definition is very simple. If our business suffers within a week because we've gone without that part or that uh, supply line for a week, uh, then, then that's a strategic supply line. And uh, a lot of businesses in Australia have only got 20 or 30 of those, you know, so you can, you can be quite proactive in how you manage those 20 or 30 supply lines. Yeah, I th- and I think this is a really interesting point that you make because due diligence 
Um, in an MA environment is is generally thought of it's financial, legal, obviously, um, technology, you know, certainly, um, and uh, you know, quite often um, people. But procurement, I can see not just we're not just talking about spend and can we achieve uh, the the savings that we're hoping to by merging these two entities. What is the risk? Is there risk? sitting in the supply chain of well, our target. It absolutely is, and COVID's shown us that. Yeah. And there's also dependency in another way. So uh, we talk in procurement about SRM. Uh, it's a strategy, a supplier relationship management. We positively and proactively build good relationships with suppliers we depend on. And our principal strategy for our top 20 or top 30 suppliers is SRM. Yeah. And when you've built a supply line across continents based on SRM, when the buyer changes uh, an acquirer comes in, got rid of the procurement team, that'd be useless. We've got a new one here, deal with him in future. And <laughs> you know, um, all the time. And, um, you know, I guess the supplier faces a choice. Well, we had a good relationship with JD. You fired him. And um, look, you know, to be honest, this business is a bit marginal for us. We've got to ship stuff over a long way. And we kept going because we felt loyal to the business, but actually, given us a chance to reassess this. Mm. Um, so you can't just assume that uh, strategic supply lines are static uh, when you acquire a business. And I think a more strategic perspective on the supply side is warranted, certainly post-COVID, before you acquire a business. You've got to be clear on what the supply side implications are. And uh, a short piece of work usually is enough to um, actually uh, cast uh, an eye over the supply side in terms of cost synergy, uh, in terms of supplier risk and supply chain management. Okay, so JD, I have a question for you. Do you think that you could put together for our listeners a really simple little checklist of the sorts of things that they should be thinking about from a procurement perspective when they're, you know, looking at acquiring a business? Yeah, uh, I can certainly uh, do that. And I've got a little download sheet, actually, which I can let you have and uh, listeners can download. Uh, built around uh, cost, stock and supply, uh, three critical questions to ask yourself before you go into any acquisition. Absolutely fabulous. That sounds like a really valuable download. So we'll link through to that in our show notes and I'll tell you a little bit later about how you can get that download. So, okay, JD, summing up, is there anything we've missed in this discussion? I think it's been a really great discussion about some areas that I think, you know, overlooked, obviously, in the M&A environment. So what no, I think there's, uh, there's three skills that procurement people can help any acquisition with. I think the first one's fairly obvious, they're, they're practice negotiation. I think the second one is they're very good at supplier appraisal, um, summing up companies as potential suppliers. Um, Mm. They've got an established process and due diligence process for doing that, and that might help uh, on any acquisition targets. And, uh, of course, they're pretty good at risk management plans and risk profiles, which is part of uh, something that falls out of that supplier appraisal process. Mm. Uh, But as a a takeaway message, uh, Joe, I might offer the idea that most Acquisitions are built on the idea of synergy, two plus two equals five. um, One of the assumptions that underpins that is the idea that the magnificent me can cut cost because I'm such a great negotiator and quite objective about this. Um, Surely we can cut cost, but um, don't assume that two plus two equals three um, on the cost side. Mm. Uh, Just because you put two cost bases together doesn't mean you can cut a lot. Mm. And most people are building the assumption they can. Mm. And uh, I just argue that for a little bit of effort, you can test that assumption and get a a much more accurate uh, feeling for what the potential is uh, for a two-year saving on emerging of two cost bases. 
Brilliant. JD, I absolutely love it. If our listeners want to reach out to you to get some assistance in this uh, DD and this analysis that they are now going to do, how do they find you? <laughs> oh, um, jdconsultancy.com.au uh, or on LinkedIn, Jonathan Dutton, um, or on Twitter or something, but um, <laughs> and, uh, the, the website will do. <laughs> JD, I love it. We will, of course, be putting links uh, to JD in our show notes um, and on our website. So make sure you check out the show notes if you want to link through to JD. JD, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming onto the Deal Room podcast. You're very welcome. And uh, doing a podcast impresses my teenage daughter enormously. So um, <laughs> I'll tell her it's on Spotify and uh, she'll be very impressed. I love it, JD. <laughs> I've run out. Thanks, JD. Thank you very much, Joe. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room podcast, where we discuss what role procurement should have in mergers and acquisitions. If you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at www.thedealroompodcast.com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you're one of those people who just loves to see the detail in writing. We also have a great download there for you that JD has put together all about the checklist in using procurement to analyze spend and potential cost savings in an acquisition. And on that website, you'll also find details of how to contact JD and also how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Of course, we've got a range of services to help guide businesses through acquisitions and through exits. And we work with clients both big and small. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you would like to find out how we can assist. Well, that's it for today. I hope you found this topic interesting. I certainly thought it was a really interesting look at an area that is clearly often forgotten in the acquisition process. And of course, as usual, if you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.